Welcome to Making It Make Sense, the podcast from Real Fear Records. This week, I'm joined by independent Galway-based record label Umbrella Records. I sat down with the three founders, Thomas, Joseph and Derek, to discuss topics as diverse as songwriting, recording, touring, and how it is that you actually go about starting and running a record label. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, we're Umbrella Records. We're based in primarily out of Galway City, uh, including kind of Mayo and County Roscommon as well. Just acquired a new member from Longford as well, so we're kind of spread across Connacht at this point. We're together three years, lads. Am I right? Uh, <laughs> 2017, maybe? 2018? Yeah, about that. But it's been a long, yeah. it's been a long road, all of us together. I was like, yeah, just mu- gigging musicians, you know, in the same area. But as a collective, it's been about three or four years. Yeah, I mean, like half the group, half the group know each other from uh, our leaving cert year, basically, or even earlier. Um, and we've kind of doubled, doubled since then, and gone through a few different, a few different bands and a few different collectives. Um, mm-hmm. But as thirty-something-year-olds that think we know what we're doing now, we've got uh, a bit of a bit more structure going on. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, what gave you the impetus originally to put together a label? And um, what was the thing that starts is it? I don't know. We've tried a few times to set up like um, collectives and whatnot. Just like it's just generally whoever's around and in our circle at that time. Like mm. everybody needs. Everybody's got experience in different aspects of the business. So you know. Why not just put everyone together and see if we can help each other and just, you know, we'll grow quicker as a unit like than Definitely. singular. So that's the main thought there. And we yeah, just hang out with our friends. Yeah, it's mostly like resources, equipment and effort and just everyone. You know, it's an awful lot easier when you have a group of 10, 10 people uh, shooting the shit about how your record's going to be released or what your artwork looks like or like I did, like, I, uh, I released a single there a couple of weeks ago with Bury Me and I don't know, I was having a, a, a melter in the weeks running up to it. And it's just, you can throw it out to the guys and everyone can be like, just calm your tits, you know. <laughs> We've done this before. Everyone's able to help you. Okay, you don't have artwork. We'll sort that out. You need to send some emails. We'll sort that out. Um, yeah, so it's... it's even before that, the the whole recording process, you know, it's quite a it's quite a group effort. Like everybody has an idea on how what in, an idea on engineering, you know. So if we need to record a drum kit or something, Joe would be like the head engineer, but with everybody would put in their everybody would put in their um, you know their few bits, of, a couple of microphones yeah. or whatever interface can be stacked or whatever way we DIY it, we'll we'll get yeah, it. That wouldn't be possible unless we all kind of you know. The bands kind of crossed uh, paths before the, the label was kind of before Umbrella Records came mm-hmm. together, and we ended up working together in like cover bands, and we just kept on crossing paths. And it just made loads of sense that we kind of uh, concentrate our efforts together and really, you know, make a decent go of it. Mm-hmm. We had an idea what we were doing, but when it came, when it really. You kind of like <laughs> you can make a list of mistakes you made, and so this is our version of uh, getting our shit together. You know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I get the impression it gave it gave everybody a lot more space to be collaborative because you could pool resources and pool experience. Is that right? 100%, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely correct. And yeah, what, Joe what? does Joe does a lot of production. He's he's also like I, he's kind of a, I was going to say a jack of all trades, but probably a, a 
something there's probably something like a bit kinder than that maybe a, a polymath or something an audio polymath <laughs> or something mad like that but uh joe can do everything so it's like it's really handy to it's it's the whole label is involved in kind of producing a record you know there's like lots of it's a very creative space that we get to work in together you know so it's mm-hmm. pretty amazing the hardest thing for us has been learning to be uh a business professional do you know what i mean and like taken we've we've learned it we know how to be creative and we know how to support each other and we know generally within the group who's best at what and where somebody can bring something to the table um and then the next i suppose in our covid year has been really good for that we've learned we've it gave us a lot of space to kind of get ourselves together and kind of Mm -hmm. structure ourselves and delve deeper into how we market this and how we you know even something like negotiating facebook ads has yeah. been a journey that we're still on, you know. Yeah, um, but absolutely. that's like that's great support. Support doing the boring stuff is always great. I, it, it's sort of something that's come up on a few of these podcasts when we're talking to creatives or people who are doing, who primarily have spent most of their time perfecting songwriting or production, and then because they're an independent artist, they they're suddenly also expected to be an expert marketeer, an expert logistics yeah. professional, and yeah. all of this other stuff. How did you guys learn? that stuff what was your experience like getting better as marketers <laughs> as organizers and all of this <laughs> we've 10 years of doing it wrong you know? yeah <laughs> <laughs> we got, an, we remember we remember process. when yeah like we we started when uh people started putting their bands on facebook you know um MySpace, not dude. on facebook on myspace on myspace sorry yeah we had a band page on bebo you know yeah so like we've we've watched it grow and we've thrown money at the at the stuff that disappeared in a year and we've made all the mistakes along the way and like most of that stuff's kind of fallen you know it's disappeared into the internet at this point but thank God. But but for for someone who like doesn't have the opportunity to like see how it grew along the way like we did like it it basically just research and like. Yeah all the information is there online for you to have and like to learn about different platforms and how they work, how the algorithms work. Cause they're usually actually quite simple. Like it's as little as making sure you have your face on view in a video or uh, replying to comments like some like TikTok. If you reply to a comment a little later than immediately. So like the app will reward you by letting you, uh, by making you, having the person open the app again uh, later down the line yeah will reward you for that by giving by placing you in like someone's for you page so like little things like that just re- it's all there people have done all the hard work already you just gotta like read it now mm. like ah and look easy. above you like like look past look look to where you aspire to be and then you can see what everyone else is doing and what's working for them and what yeah. you think like a big thing for us as well was not trying to do everything. So not jumping on Snapchat or, you know, we decided to go with TikTok for instead of Snapchat and, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, learning, learning what fits with your brand and how you want to be perceived as well is a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, and sticking with that, you know, sticking to your guns. And how do you describe your brand? Was it, was it something that you, an ethos developed naturally out of the music that you were playing? And then when you had the, the label come together, it was a continuation of that or was there a meeting where you sat down and said what are we about <laughs> i think we're watching it emerge anyway i think we're watching it watching it emerge like everyone 
we have to be very careful as well not to tread on anyone else's toes. So, for instance, like burying me with my money are doing a lot of bright, bubbly synth stuff. And mm-hmm. Derek Ellard and the Future Business Model are doing kind of more folk and alternative folky. You know, if you want to look at it in extremes, that's what we're doing. So the brand can't just represent bury me and it can't just represent Derek. It has to it has to be kind of passive, you know. Mm-hmm. It's uh, quite self-serving, I suppose, but uh, the kind of overall, the kind of feeling I think in the label is that um, that each band is like puts a lot of craft into songwriting and is trying to carve out something that really feels fresh and really feels exciting, um, exciting artistically, you know. And we all kind of agreed on that, even though it's from different aspects of. Mm-hmm different aspects of genres and stuff, you know, but we can, we're all, we're all, as I said, it's quite self-serving. We all agreed on the same thing. It was like, well, I'm doing this and I'm friends with this guy. So we might as well do this together. You know, mm. music isn't the same, but at least we're kind of aiming at the same, you know, the same demographic. Yeah. yeah we're not, we're not trying to be fucking, we're not trying to be lunchtime today FM radio, you know, <laughs> we're going, so, we're good with, that's a gen, we're, we're generally all alternative, all the, in the alternative space in the fucking that 20 percent of the yeah. national community or whatever so we mm-hmm. need to we're trying to build a bigger community exactly. and, and and how is that community i i um i'm from Clare myself and i spent a lot of time ah. in galway so i've i've played i used to play there in the roshi and Zovin things when i was in my old band dry roasted peanuts and we'd we did that and some other venues there the names of which i've forgotten but i'll never <laughs> forget some i'll never forget not hot that's a really good Asian restaurant yeah. beside it, but oh yeah, but <laughs> these are the things I remember from the, the weekends I spent in Galway. But what, what do you think of the, um, the the live music scene there? And and like you say that you're predominantly based in Connacht as a label. Is there a market for that kind of music in Connacht? Mm. I think so. Yeah, there is for sure. Um, unfortunately, there isn't a huge amount of venues, and the no. more popular Galway. And the surrounding area gets the harder it is to get um, a profitable night on a de- in a decent space. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because, but um, so we need that's what we're kind of working together to carve out is something special like that where we can have our own venue and we can be working on something that's not just defined by, you know, the Roisin Dove. Yeah, because that's bit that that like when you know, the Roisin has been the only thing that's really survived in the Galway music scene. And you could argue the Connacht music scene. Like yeah. there's been, there's been huge, there was good, there was a good venue in Ballina that disappeared a couple of years ago. Um, Westport always has something, but they want the covers market. And yeah. Galway's, Galway suffers that fate an awful lot as well. Like mm-hmm. the original venues generally don't, or traditionally didn't do well because it's a tourist market. Yeah. or it's stags and hens, you know, it's that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us, it was about kind of gathering that community together to build little pockets around around Connacht and try and be part of that. Like Finbar Hoban in Castlebar or, you know, the punks in Ballina or at the Galway music scene, you know, and even reach down as far as Limerick. Like we've a lot of trying to get down there too, you know. Yeah, yeah. God forbid he ends up in Limerick though, but that's the... <laughs> what... what... <laughs> What do you feel about the, you, you, and there is a, certainly a big cover scene in Galway and I'd be sort of more familiar with the Limerick um, scene and it is very covers based as well. Is, right. Do you take part in that? Do you play in covers bands? Do you like begrudge people for doing that? 
Like, how do you oh. feel about that? If you're, if like the musicians on your label want to do that, uh, does that affect the music that they're making, the original music? No, not at all. I mean, it oh, supports you mean, it. You mean it direct, as in artistically? Well, I mean artistically, but but both ways, financially as well. I guess you know, definitely, you're saying it supports it, but does it does it lessen the artistic merits of, of what they're doing or? Oh, I, I don't think so because they're, they're oh, two no. separate um they're two separate ends of the spectrum. You know what I mean? You can be a session guitar player. It doesn't mean you can write a song. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And you need something like you won't survive as an original musician in Ireland if you want to have any sort of quality of life. Like you need to be able to pay your bills. So like if you want to pay your bills, what better way to do it than by playing your instrument and getting paid for it? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I'd you're be, sharpening your tools. I'd be I'd be pulling pints anyway and not be, be where I am now. If it wasn't for the cover band we set up, we decided to set up. So, yeah, I wouldn't. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I think when if you asked me uh, 10 years ago or 15 years ago, maybe I probably would have tried to fight you or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, Same uh, as. I suppose <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of being devil, devil's advocate here because I'm quite aware that the Beatles were a covers band for, you know, three years in Hamburg. And that's when they really got their shit together. So I suppose yeah, it does. It, it it can help in terms of technicality, but it can um, help with songwriting too. Because you, I mean, you you get forced to play so many different types of song that like there's all sorts of like tricks and you know twists and turns people put in modern pop and like old pop music that you can learn and like you're like oh that's really interesting chord progression or that's a nice trick yoink and then you can try and like apply that in your song somewhere or like something will come out when you're writing something in your own uh in your own stream and just you're like where the hell did that come from but it's it's you now so yeah you're unconsciously building your repertoire all the time yeah yeah and we're lucky as well because we kind of took this a kind of a punk attitude towards our cover band and we were like well, we definitely won't be doing any of this stuff or any of that. Or any of this. <laughs> yeah. And of course, no at, that, at the start, you know, in, in our first year, people are like, oh, God. Oh, come on, please. <laughs> yeah. please Who do you play, think you are? <laughs> play, play something we know. And then, we you know, we got one residency and then we had next thing you know, we had two. And then it was like three residencies <laughs> in like the in the biggest venues in Galway. And you're like, OK. And then yeah. people are like and then they kind of get it, you know, and you're like, OK. Mm. People need a think, coercion, you know, you have to kind of stuff it down their throat like the radio does. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I did um, one time when I was sort of starting out, when I was still in Clare before I moved to Cork and I'm in Dublin now, but at the time I wanted to get some sort of a, some exposure for the bands and we were doing originals. And we said, we do this one, a co-worker of mine's Debs in Milltown Malbay, the West Clare Debs, the biggest event oh. in all of um, <clears throat> Milltown Malbay. <laughs> And, and of course, we were had the same attitude. We were, we were going to be like, okay, well, we're not going to be playing any Ed Sheeran. That's, that's yeah, for yeah. sure. And, you know, so we played a lot of Nirvana. Did not go down a tree. It, 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 went, it went quite badly. There was one guy dancing. Uh, he was fucking vibing it, though. He, he loved it. But <laughs> it's, 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 the, the, it's the gaunt that you have to run. You know, yeah, there's yeah. some compromises 100%. to be made if you want to yeah. do that sort of thing, you know. Well, you can you can compromise and still and still look after your soul. You know, you don't have to you don't have to play wagon wheel and fucking born in the USA every time you go and play a cover gig. You can play, you know, you find the middle ground. I think there's an, like you, like I'm not involved in the band. The lads are involved in there. There's 
three of them. You should go. I'd advise you to go and see them in Galway at some stage. It's it's a it's a buzz. We but, don't give a shit. <laughs> we don't give a shit. And that's the point. Like you can get that across big time, and you can you get across your artist artisticness through. But like um, you can kind of you can kind of learn to relate to people and learn to figure out. Like as a musician, especially growing up in the West, it's, there's a very much this kind of us and them attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're playing, when you say cover bands, at least when I was younger, you'd be like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to be playing Wagon Wheel. I don't want to be playing country covers at a wedding. Uh, I don't want to be doing that stuff. But like you learn to learn to bridge the gap and figure out what people enjoy and become part of the wider community musically yeah. as well is a big thing. I suppose that's a good point as well, is that you do get to connect with people who wouldn't otherwise go to your other gigs, you know, and you, exactly, sort of, yeah. you can you can build bridges that way through through Wagon Wheel and through um, <laughs> and all of that. Do you, do you think um, do you think that there's an identity in the West of Ireland musically? I know a lot of the bands that come out of there have a sort of similar ish sounds. There is some sort of connections that I can hear. Yeah. Do you think that's true or is that just something that is exists in my head? Um, I think if you're talking about Galway bands, I don't think we like even Umbrella Records wouldn't be directly involved in like the Galway City scene. But if you're talking mm. about Galway City bands, yeah, there is a kind of a surfy rock punk kind of. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Surf rocky kind of vibe to a lot of the bands. And I, I, think... I love I love that stuff. So I've got no idea, but. <laughs> There's a few Pro- knocking around, but I mean, like everybody's kind of that kind of post-punky kind of surfy punk thing is cool at the moment. You know what I mean? So it's kind mm-hmm. of I'm delighted for all those bands because they've been they've been around a few years, you know. Mm. And so it's nice to see them get their little thing, and it's nice to be cool for a while or whatever, you know. <laughs> when the hell's post post rock math rock going to come back though? Yeah, <laughs> did, it, did it ever leave? <laughs> come on. <laughs> I think for some people, it's it's still there. It's still going quite strong, you know. But... Where are they at? <laughs> Come to my shows. Come to my shows. <laughs> IFK Radius is, is what I'll say. But is there a different identity there to the rest of Ireland, say? It's di- it's different today than it was than it used to be. I mean, like, if you go back 10, you know, today, everybody's listening. You know, you can find you can find your tribe awful handy. Whereas when you go, you know, look ten years ago, I think, yeah, you were probably you were probably either into rock music or you were into pop music. Do you know, what I mean? it was like yeah. the lines were pretty. The lines were pretty solid in the West of Ireland. And I think where you, where you see a lot of bands that emerged from that, um, like myself and Joe would have played in rock bands when we were growing up, and you know, we Joe Joe held onto that really heavily, and I kind of merged. I kind of kept some of it. Um, but then you see a lot of an awful lot of like brilliant folk art, just some, like um, Neve Regan, for instance, or Anna Malarkey, and like th- those people would come from more of a trad music base. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a huge, you know, you can't deny you can't deny our ties to folk music in the west of Ireland. Um, it hasn't really spread too much into into Umbrella, I don't think. But it's you know, if you're talking about the west of Ireland, I think trad has had a huge influence on kind of our modern effort like maria kelly would be another one as well like she's out in the arsehole of mayo as well and she you know that that's where what she would have grown up on you know you guys play trad yourselves uh i don't our drummer does adam plays trad um 
I've learned a few jigs and reels. That's about as far as it goes. Yeah, you weren't corralled into playing. I was very much corralled into playing the banjo when I was younger and going to like Kaylee's and things. And it was not not a not a not a positive experience. (laughs) When you're forced into it, it's not so good. But then afterwards, you you learn to appreciate it. Yeah. Um. Do you see any kind of crossover between, say, that scene and the sort of more alternative rock scene? Oh yeah, like you know, do you know? And so I watch you from afar. Um, yeah, they've, like they've got serious like trad vibes going through their riffs. Like even though it's like intense post rock, like distorted, but it's got that that same energy and that feel. That's like just get yeah. and, like, <laughs> and that's that's quite like apparent in a lot of a lot of like rock music coming from Ireland. I think still. Mm like celtic rock <laughs> celtic rock but not not like you know horse lips kind of yeah <laughs> like dark doom stuff but you know it's it's there but it's not apparent but it's more like you can feel it or something yeah. i think yeah. that's more a sort of sure. undercurrent of celticness yeah exactly yeah. exactly do you, so do we're here to have a good time do you come across a lot of artists that sing osquelga do you guys speak irish do you have a place for it in your yeah. I have Label. a friend who uh, does that, uh, the band Tua. They're from mm. Donegal, like, yeah, oh, yeah. Robert Moran. He, yeah. like, he sings in Irish, like, an awful lot. I think he's kind of moved away from it for his new EP, just to make it a little more accessible to some people because mm. of some mm. of the topics that are in it. He wanted them to be, like, easily understandable to all. But, like, he was very much, like, Irish-speaking, and it's, it's like, trip-hop, um, post, or psych rock with... Uh, Irish speaking, it's insane to listen to. Like, oh, I can't speak Irish, but that's the tone. <laughs> it's like Mongolian chant. Yeah, you're like, oh my Irish. god. Yeah, it's kind of little, so Irish. There's a little hair of deaf tonesy kind of vibe in there as well. For sure, it's, it's he covers a lot of things and does it really well. It's very cool. I say it wouldn't be too hard to corner the market of Irish language trip hop, though. I mean, that's <laughs> probably the only album that, that exists, so, unless there's some scene in Cairo that I don't know about. But <laughs> I mean, it could be onto something there. But, yeah, well, you know. Do, do, do you come across a lot of bands who, who are singing in Irish um, just out of gigs and things, or is it not really? Not really. Not, what do you I, think? I, I haven't. Um... No, <laughs> I, I, I feel like every time, you know, it, it's just difficult, though, like to merge those two things because of the, the nature of how Irish sounds. It just doesn't sound that great when it's sung unless it's, it's sung like, in like Shannos or something. You know, you're clenching, you're clenching it straw. You know, the language is the language isn't alive in, in our part of the world anyway. Um, so what you're really doing is reaching, you know, you're reaching back to try and bring something in that isn't in your environment. Yeah. I'd be more inclined to I'd be more inclined to take influence from the West of Ireland and take influence from the kind of general music that's emerged from it and try and try and add to that story rather than like I don't speak Irish and nobody in my town speaks Irish. Well, they don't prop you know, there's no Gaelic area or anything like that. So for me it would be it wouldn't make sense for me to write in Irish. Yeah. But I can I can definitely appreciate an Irish tune or appreciate the culture that's gone before us here or whatever. I'm trying to mm. try and be try and be part of that and not because it's very tempting when you're doing 
doing music that isn't doesn't really exist in this area to try and latch on to say an American sound or an English sound that's not of you. But mm. I think it's much better, much better to try and create something that's true to where you come from. Yeah. I, I heard more true to yourself, I think is yeah. the more important one. Like it's yeah. like yeah. you personally, it did like you can come from Ireland, but you can still like who knows where you draw your influences from or like what you connect with personally. So like to say like just to because you're from this area. Like I should be trying to draw influence from this place, but like, fuck it. Mm. Like, take it from wherever, wherever it comes, and whatever t- like you feel, then that's what yeah. you should be going with. I yeah, suppose, absolutely. I suppose there's a kind of a complex question there about authenticity. I I don't know if this was a podcast or something I listened to, but they were talking about how if you have if there's a certain cliche or stereotypical view of a region or an area, say you know France or something. And you go there and you go to the very um, ga- you know, garish, touristy areas, it will become the stereotype because people go to expect that. And yeah. musically, if you're from a certain area, do you then try to acquiesce to people's stereotypes just because that's what you think is or should be authentic? You know, because that's their view. That's an American's view of what Irish music should be. Does that make sense or is that nonsense? <laughs> yes, I just said there. I've I've seen a lot of people, I've seen a lot of artists do that and they don't they don't get anywhere bar the local pub, do you know what I mean? Yeah. You'll only get so you'll only get the like okay, like if you're in about playing mm-hmm. Matt Malloy's in Westport, you can do you know, you can do that and you can sit in there and you can have all the Americans enjoy what you're doing for the night. And you'll get, you know, you'll go so far with it. But at the end of the yeah. day, you're pan you're pandering to the crowd. As Joe said, you're much better to try and figure out your place in the world, I think. And, I I do think that's very true as well what you said Joe about you could be from literally anywhere in Ireland but your influences are going to be foreign and they're most likely going to be American for the most part you know musically anyway yeah and Mm. that's probably the more authentic thing is if you're doing like I didn't like fucking rockabilly over trad or or whatever you know but I don't know it's it's a weird one it's it's kind of a complicated one because how do you how do you work that into your um your music you know if you want to Mm. or how do you connect or how much do you even think yeah like i i noticed a couple of years ago that my my that my music i think it's song analyzing sorry extremely american i mean america so and i'd only started noticing i was like why is it so why does it sound so i don't know what even the word is twee or something but um and then when i and so I made a conscious effort to start using my Tipperary Galway accent, you know what I mean? And mm. I, I feel much better about the music now. Yeah. You know, even though nice. it's the exact same song or the exact same, nothing has changed except for instead of saying, you know, five years ago, I would have said party. And now I say party and we're going. Party. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It sounds like you now. That that, that yeah, sounds yeah. like it's coming from you, and I'm like, I fucking believe that dude. Yeah. He went to a party <laughs> because you know there's a lot of loads of people going. There's loads of folk music where it's like, oh, it's like Chris Cornell like, core. It's like it's it's it's, it's, it's so unbelievably derivative that they've yeah. stopped even pronouncing the words like. 
Mm. But you know, I think yeah. people accept that. I think people accept the Irish accent more in music. They accept, you know, there was a, there used to be there used to be a bit of stigma about if you think about like the early the early like R and B stuff that came into Dublin and you Dublin guys rapping with thick Dublin accents and everyone was like slating them or whatever. Ten years yeah. later, it's like if you have an American accent, you're just a fucking clown. You know, yeah. <laughs> you, ha- you have to be. Yeah, and I think that goes for us as well. Like, there was a small bit of almost shame from for being from the country or being from the west of Ireland and having a thick accent. Well, for me, yeah. anyway, I'd be I'd have a thicker accent than most. But like, um, you kind of you kind of subconsciously denied that and wanted to be part of the American cool scene. Well, yeah, that's part of growing up as well. You ever wants to be fucking cool? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm cool. That's, just part of, that's, that's a big part of it. I was the same. I like, I come from the West Country in England, where, mm. where everyone talks like that. You're at my babbers. And it's not, <laughs> that's not a good engine for singing emotional lyrics. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. <laughs> I'm not even going to do it because. Sing me, sing me a love song in your West Country accent, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Later, I mean, later. Yeah, <laughs> outside of like emotional ballads for you know tractors and things, it's it's sometimes it doesn't have the same exactly. Exactly. connection. But I feel like the first time I heard someone th- rapping in a very thick um, Dublin or Limerick accent, taking the rubber band bits, for example, I, it, it was just like obviously to me funny. You know, I just couldn't take it seriously. To the now I can, but at the like the first time I did, I, I thought it was just a bit stupid, and. I think that's a process that you have to go through with accents, regional accents, you know, because it's something that that's that certainly people from the north of England have gone through years before Ireland has caught up. And I don't think we have caught up for, for certainly music that's not rap, but like. How, how can Irish music distinguish itself from from British music? It doesn't have to. Do you think there's a there's a national identity of music outside of these sorts of small regional identities that we make up? Maybe. I think I think uh, like looking into Ireland from the outside, I think there is like an image that is thrust upon Ireland, e- even like with like the alternative scene. So like when you look at uh, Fontaine's DC and stuff like that. Like as soon as they went to America, it's almost as if and started doing that side. It was as if they were dressed in the clothes that they were expected to wear. And I think that's mm. like a very real imagery. That is mm. that how America sees well America mostly would see Ireland and the and the scene. So like I think yeah. I, I think it'll help like your it'll country. help your brand overseas though, right? Like so if you you know, if you see a band on stage that you're like, you know, one of them's wearing an Irish jersey and a Guinness T-shirt, just like, oh, they're Irish. And then you're you're automatically thinking that, you know, Irish people are, you know, the, the singers that travel around the world, you know. Mm. So it kind of it kind of does you a favor in one sense, but it also creates a, a predefined expectation of your band, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Do, you, do you think that we're, we're taken seriously abroad as musicians? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Hundred percent, I think. Like Ireland is always like that's where music, like 
it's a, artists it's a, in it's general artists exactly artists and musicians and like writers and yeah it's like that's what's expected of ireland and it's beautiful yeah. we're a country of fairies leprechauns and rainbows like so you know we're and we're allowed legends. to occupy we're allowed to occupy that space in people's minds where we're you know yeah we're really really good at pop yes that really yeah, yeah. Fat 808s that's like <laughs> that's bread and butter that's irish right there <laughs> it doesn't hurt so tell me a little bit about the um the, the development of the label then how did you come to meet all of your bands were they're all just bands that you guys had known or did you approach people or how did that work yeah we had we had other bands previously so myself and joe shared a drummer for a long time like nearly a decade um in two separate bands so we had a working relationship before this um and we met derek what seven years ago six years ago eight years ago <laughs> Um, yeah, we met Derek through the through the Galway music scene, and um, so we were all kind of friendly, but not really working together during that time. But all kind of still supporting each other's individual projects. Um, and then about two thousand and sixteen, two thousand and seventeen, uh, that drummer uh, that we mentioned uh, had to move to the other side of the country. So basically, everything disbanded at that point, and we had to start again in a World. certain way. And, Huh? Other, other side of the world, not the country. Oh, sorry, sorry, the other <laughs> side of the world. Yeah, yeah. Just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So like that was that was a chance. That was a chance to rebuild and rebrand, and that we kind of did. So then, Bannard Mayor and Bury Me with My Money started. Derek, I sorry, you were already going at this point. Yeah. So yeah, Derek was kind of two years on the go at that stage. Yeah, playing as. Um, that's right. Yeah, you were just on your own. Were you doing you? You were doing like loop based yeah. stuff as well as yeah. singer songwriter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then me and Joe ended up living together. I was working on my project, and I asked Joe to kind of come on board and help me out as a producer and a musician as well. Um, and then eventually we were just like, look, let's just pool all our resources, get the whole gang together, and get a good push behind this. So then we gathered like yeah. maybe. 10 people across three different bands um, and push from there. Only got a buck and save the world from Southern California. A Jimmy Fallon fever dream that never seems to bore you. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Just because you can don't mean you should. Even got a buck would love the shows from Southern So how is the quarantine for you guys? Incredibly beneficial. I got to like upskill, like loads of stuff that I wanted to learn, but I didn't have time because of work. Like stuff like uh, getting into a more detailed video editing techniques and stuff like that. Got to learn all that stuff, get a load of projects finished. It was just nice to have a, it was like a breather. Yeah. Like you got to step back, take a step mm-hmm. back, take a deep breath. What do I need to, what tools do I need to move forward when we're allowed back into the world? So yeah. that was nice for me personally. Was it the same for yourself, Derek? Um, no, uh, mine was like, um, 
like three months in, Mary Shape May, yeah, something, no, two months in, we had kind of like a half a single done or something, or I can't even remember now exactly. But we'd like to. Yeah, a long year. We've the, we'd the most, we the majority of a project finished. And I was like, oh, well, we can leave it after this, or, you know, let's push it off again. And if it wasn't for a pandemic hitting, I probably, you know, be still sitting on three records, you know, but that was it. Once it, once it kind of like, the reality of how long this might last set in, I was like, right, well, now is a perfect opportunity to get your shit together and, you know, do the, go through all the uh, social media things, make sure they're all tidy, make sure all your artworks this way, make sure it's six weeks in advance, make sure this is done in time, make sure you have a website, make sure you can pay for this, make, you know, and you get this like, it was the sense of dread really, you know what I mean? That was the spark <clears throat> because, it for a lot of people, I mean, I think for everybody, when it, the reality the, of this existential crisis that you really you're kind of going through as you're like, Jesus Christ, we could all be wiped out. Or what does it mean to be working 40 hours a week? What's it mean to be working fucking 80 hours a week so I can buy a car and then I'll be that I have to pay off for the next this amount of years and I have to do this and I do that. You know, there's like loads of those kind mm. of, you know, questions you're asking yourself. But the one thing that, you know, was within reach and well, you know, workable was doing music and making sure this was perfect. And let's get now you've got the time, no excuse to make this absolutely perfect. And we planned out a year and it went really well. And happy days. We everybody learned loads. It yeah. was a buzz. Yeah, um, I, I think it's a mixed response. Like most people, they did have that sort of experience of, I don't know, taking this sort of breathing space to learn new things and, and everything like that. But it was certainly the thing where you had to realize that this was going to be it for a while, you know, like that, that had to be a conscious decision to, to try and do yeah. that. But um, yeah, no, I think we should do this every once every five years or so. We should just have a, mm. take, a take a year out and everyone wipe should the sleeve. Yeah, just <laughs> start over again. But um, hopefully without all of the, you know, death, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah. How, how's the live gigging looking for Galway and for your label? Is it, do you have plans to, to go back into it um, when things open back up? ASAP, I'd say. Right. Yeah. Um, so we have like ideas to, because, because let's say the Roaching Dove now is so, because there's so many bands, like big, bigger bands, more successful bands on labels and stuff, are like after losing so much money during this time, they've all like booked out everything you know for the next foreseeable future basically like mm -hmm. so we and even if that's not 100 percent true we still have to start thinking outside the box because they're going to get first dibs like no one's going to everything there yeah. they can't sell the place out when they definitely can you know so that's kind of what we're at at the moment is trying to make some plans where would it be possible to do a recorded live video, or firstly, would it be possible to have a regular gig somewhere where we could look after people and, you know, as you said, set up that community and really get, let, really get something going. Mm. But, um, you know what I mean? Crowds are fickle people. If you don't get, <laughs> if you don't sell the place out once, then there's an issue, you know? And But we don't even that. know. Yeah, we don't even know what a crowd is going to look like at the end of yeah. this year, you know? Yeah. I think, I think there's going to be a boom. 
But are, no, but like even even in the next twelve months, will we be allowed to fill the Roisin dog? You know. Yeah. <laughs> will it be, or will everyone be yeah. seated again? I don't. I think. I think the day the day where you walk into a bar and everybody, you know, it's crowded and you're pushing past to get somebody, like that could be gone for all we know. You know, yeah. it could be table service from here on out, I which will change so. the. I don't know. I feel. I feel like a lot of people might even have a lot of apprehension. You know, apprehension about getting in the crowd. Mm. I mean, the younger crew. Probably. I, I think that. I think that that the, the percentage of people that would be apprehensive about it is minuscule. Like mm. most of like the feedback I would see across social media is people just chomping at the bit to get out and reclaim their lives and go out and see live gigs and be like in the middle of a. F- a mess of people just like oh mm. just living like I think people seem to want that rather than be like yeah. oh, I don't know about that now especially so once you have a, two it, points like, in you you know <laughs> exactly I'm gonna like you think I'm not I'm gonna be all over you after a pint let alone yeah. two pints like, like come here <laughs> come here buddy do you think you guys would be personally apprehensive about being in large crowds or would you not give a shit? It's like I, I don't think I would care. I, once I was I'm uh, vaccinated, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think so. You know, but yeah. um, I was always apprehensive about being in a crowd. I love table service. Like, <laughs> 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 give me an armchair and a band, and I'll be grand. You know? <laughs> I mean, I prefer yeah. the big crowd because yeah. you're actually you're like more you're more concealed in a big crowd. There's more anonymity, and like you're like, I'm just. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> yeah. And there's some artists, just I was saying, there's some artists, some artists can do way better out of this setup as well. Like when you think about playing a folk show in the Roisin Dove, it's going to be way better that everyone's seated and shut yeah. up. And That's a good point. <laughs> I a, mean, there's a certain energy that like, it's it's a totally different energy sitting down versus standing up. Like if you have a big crowd of people all packed together, yeah, that works for... You know, like you can't do a punk gig to people sat down. Like that, that does not. No, that doesn't work. No, you know. Well, they'll pick up on every bum chord that you play as well. You know? <laughs> well, that's it. You know, it's punk music. It's all bum chords. <laughs> <laughs> um, and do you guys have plans for for putting any tours together and things like that outside of, um, the, say the Galway area? Um, I, w- yeah. I want to go to Europe as soon as possible. I want to. That would be my 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 main protocol. Already done the toilet circuit with like our previous bands and like I don't know. It's just hard to get like a, it's hard to get traction with like the more alternative music. You have to be really, really lucky and like strike a chord with with people. But like whereas if you go to Europe, you might be able to build up a, a bit more of a reputation and get people to shows and then come back to Ireland with that mm. with that clout that you've already got. There's a certain so, amount of cloud that you can get by just playing somewhere further away. Like I think yeah, the sure. only way that we got gigs in Cork was because we did a gig that was totally empty in Dublin. And then we got yeah. bigger gigs in Dublin because we got the ones yeah. in Cork, you know? Oh yeah. Get Whelan's, get Whelan's in your bio or fucking whatever it but is. It, it's so true. Gig. It's totally true. I mean, that, that's yeah. literally how it works. That's how you get a gig where you're from is you do an empty gig somewhere else, you know, because no one knows how many people were at the gig. <laughs> Unless you make a very bad video where you show the empty room, but yeah, you know that's a, your own choice. We had a, um, well, I won't name the band, but um, we were after we had their empty room in Wheelands, we were told not to come back <laughs> because oh. 
because we wasted his time. And you know what? He's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, same goes for the your, same goes for Europe as well. Like you can waste an awful lot of money and time traveling to Europe, but like we did. Well, at least it's not on your doorstep. Eh? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, Europe, Europe's knows. a different buzz. People go to shows there. That's. But you know what, Joe? I think that I think you might actually see that start happening in Ireland now. You know, there's only when you talk about the sort of venues that we can play in that have a decent PA that are going to provide some of the crowd themselves that are going to back you with a couple of posters and a de- decent social media backing that are going to take original music. You're yeah. on about less than 10 venues in the whole country, I'd say. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, OK, well, like primarily there's some little nuggets around the place that that probably wouldn't take a full five or six piece band, you know, four or five piece band. Um, Yeah, but there's definitely, there is a circuit there that we're going to latch onto 100%. Mm. 100%. Just anywhere we can go, really. (laughs) I I wonder how much, I mean, you'd like to think that that circuit will be firing on all cylinders after all of this COVID stuff, but um, It is a little bit underdeveloped in Ireland in comparison to the UK or most European countries, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, As like you... said, it's, hard, it's hard to get people to shows, you know what I mean? And it's totally understandable. I mean, it's not mm. understandable what I'm saying. I, I, I can understand where <laughs> they're coming from. Yeah, I, I find it confusing that you wouldn't want to go see a band, but you know what I mean? I, we, I, there's le- such a level of high quality musicians around the place that you as as joe said again that you need either need to be really lucky or you know what i mean you know somebody and that's what creates the buzz kind of thing you know and yeah this is um another point that came up on the, the last podcast i was doing was um i was talking to a, uh somebody who works in a, a studio and we were comparing the irish view towards music towards that which would exist in say france or germany and I think because we have this high amount or this high, yeah, we have this high quantity of, of musicians and, and everybody has a guitar in their house. And because of that, we produce a lot of music, but we don't value it that much because it's so readily yeah. available, you know. 100%. Do you agree yeah. with that? Or, yeah. Yeah, for sure. The market is completely saturated, I think, from the top down. Like when you look across social media and in the venues, it's, you know, and look at Spotify alone, like it's, Trying to get heard, trying to get your head above the crowd is a constant, a constant issue. Like, yeah, the live, the live streaming, the live streaming thing, I think is interesting. Like that might mm. actually, that might actually provide us with exposure. You know, when everything settles, as you said, I think that will continue in some aspect. Maybe not in the every Friday night we go on and we, I play songs with my ukulele to fifteen people. But you might might see an awful lot more of um, like the like the Claire Morris Town Hall sessions we did or something like that, where you're putting a bit of effort into it. But you have content there, live content and really good quality content that people are able to buy into. Like I've seen Mm. I've seen maybe five or six bands over the last year that had been on my list to see for the five years beforehand. And I wouldn't have seen them had they not done live streams. So I think, especially in Ireland, when you have to travel three, three, three hours to go to Dublin to see the majority of good Irish bands, because the reality is they are in Dublin. Um, to be able to do that from the far side of the country is a huge thing. 
Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't consider them. I like. I saw. I I saw the scratch play that I saw their live stream that they did on YouTube for their for their record, and like I don't consider these live streams gigs at all. Like. This is the thing. I mean, was I experience? Was I at Woodstock because I saw Martin Scorsese's footage of it? Exactly. Exactly. But it's like absolutely not the same. You're not feeling the same emotions. Like you can't feel the tension in the room when they're building sections and like no. There's a whole like laundry list of emotions that you go through that make a gig and the experience that it is that you don't experience at home. And like, I don't know. It's just no. It's not the same. People might see your gig like streamed gig and be like well i saw them now i don't need to go see them it's like whereas you could not do that and not overexpose yourself and be like oh here we go and then but also like i know you have to have the balance with like having content for people to consume so they can you know get used to your music or like in learn to love you or and all you know how it goes but mm. I, I think i think it sorry yeah i think it's more it's more going to be it's more going to be an added asset rather than something that replaces a gig culture like yeah for somebody for somebody down in i don't know like you know waterford you know we've never played down in waterford but like they're they have access there's something there's something there that they can latch on to and for me the the recording of a band or the recording of an artist can be so contrived these days that you can't judge a band by that you need to be able to see their live footage like uh, like we did the Clemaris Folk Festival there the last couple mm. of years, and just to be even be able to, to book those bands, to be able to see those bands in some sort of live scenario, even just to see how they if they if they fucking if they're staring at their instruments for their whole set, or if they're actually engaged trying to engage with what's in front of them and the other people in the room, or even engage with each other, like that's you could get a way better idea of where a band is at. By seeing that and I think that that applies whether it's conscious or not to the audience as well as the promoters yeah but that's that's in that's in regards to like you getting to see what the band is like but like mm-hmm. I, I was just I just doesn't replace the experience the experience of a live show like and like the, the fact that you might you might see the live stream and not go to a gig because you're like well I've seen them but then the band yeah. don't have anything to bounce off so it's like different again. You don't like I pref- you everyone will perform differently to a hundred people than they would to one. Like, even though you shouldn't, you should like give each person, even if it's that one person can give them the same experience, but you still you draw energy yeah. from one another, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. Um what so what's your recording style like for for your acts? Um, do you record yourself? Do you have a studio that you go to often? Yeah. Or what's that? How does it's that work? Gorilla, gorilla recording, DIY yeah. gorilla recording. We go wherever we can. Um, like we we tracked Tommy's uh, "Bury Me with My Money's new record. Uh, we tracked the drums in his sitting room, like which just happened to pure luck. Sounded amazing. Like we just treated the soundproofed it the best, or treated it the corners and whatnot the best we could, and just went for it because we we didn't have any other option. And then, you know, we did recorded the guitars and the bass and the synths in an old, like our guitarist's grandfather's old house. Like he's passed and we were just like, the place was in a bit of disrepair. So we just, it was really DIY jobs. Derek records like 
you record at home and send me the parts, but you you also have the spot in in Galway, the Raven Studios, where he rented to record drums. So they track drums and then send it on. And then uh, my band, we recorded in the Claremore's Town Hall, the drums, and then recorded the rest of it at our bassist's house. Like it's all over anywhere we can go. Yeah. It's like so you, you record all of these parts in, in separate locations and you put them together after yeah. the fact. That's interesting. Yeah. And that works. <laughs> Absolutely works. That's so yeah. cool. That's the, you must get like just for the sake of the the ambience of all the different recordings, you know, you yeah. get such a variety of, yeah. of sounds that way. Oh, yeah. I think we, well, like, we always have a vision, though, as well. Like, you know what your drums what your drums want to sound like. If you want a stadium yeah. drum or, if, or a deadened room, you know, and you just find the room that you, that creates that sound for you. Same with vocals. Or the like, room they, they want... allow you to use. <laughs> a lot of it. <laughs> That's usually the case. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a budget as well, though. Like, we've done, we've paid big money for studios as well. And you end up, you end up going in. I mean, okay, look, I'll take a, free, I'll take Grouse Lodge for free for the weekend, no problem. But yeah. I'm not gonna pay, I'm not gonna pay a thousand euro to rush four tracks through two days and come out the other end and be like, fuck, that guitar part wasn't great, or that snare sound, that snare's out of tune. You know, we've done that as well. There's a lot to be said for having the control, even if the quality is reduced slightly. <clears throat> but it isn't. But it isn't. <laughs> the quality isn't reduced no um that's interesting so it, it's all it's all very diy it's all sort of put together by yourselves yeah well like tommy was saying you, the fact that we don't have to like rush things through in the studio yeah. like it means you can get the best take and like you can have things sound exactly as you want it so you're not like oh at any point and there's like there's room to be creative and like with our new with our with bannered mare like we have lots of lots of different effects going on and stuff like that and thick fuzzes we got to sit like i'll have the lads play their sections and literally sit there like just dialing in tones and it takes time but like you get such juicy sounds from it like just doing that and it really and it's it's inspires other parts and other things because you you get a new sonic experience mm -hmm. and then like you're onto the next part of the song you're like jesus that bit was fat as hell mm, better do it again here like we better like how what can we do for this even if you know even if it takes time yeah. let's make this juicy and you I have know. that this it's free reign I've been doing a lot of recording lately and uh, I, I have a I have a touch of the red light syndrome so I having the ability or be to be able to take like let's say you do three hours of takes and you're like fuck me this is a nightmare hmm. we can i can leave it for the day you know we can leave it for the day and come back tomorrow. yeah yeah that's like, huge yeah, like if you're having a bad day if you're having a bad yeah. day if your voice isn't in good nick yeah oh man that is like the most anxious hung over oh yeah, that's so scary going into a studio. Like when we recorded in, um, oh, in Start Together Studios in Belfast, like I was still, like, I was shitting my pants about singing just because I was like, like I need to smoke a cigarette, but I really should not be smoking these cigarettes. Anybody got any cigarettes? I'm fucking terrified <laughs> here. And like going into that, and like you know, yeah. you've only got one. Like we got an hour to get like this one song done. And then you get 10 minutes, you got to go do another one. That's scary. 
for like yeah for someone who's not that experienced at that time in yeah. the studio no i get that I, I think there's something to be said though for being very constrained as well and and forced into working because you can lose yourself in these in all of the gear and all of the pedals and and making sounds and then suddenly you don't have anything you don't have an actual song you know oh for sure well the like songs... I, i'm certainly i've done that so yeah, many times yeah. <laughs> you know where i've been trying to write something and i just have slush i think yeah, yeah. that's those are two different things so like <laughs> the recording process yeah. and the writing process are different entities well sure yeah. like where we've what i was explaining about with all the pedals we've already the songs are already formed and ready to go and we're just literally taking our stems and we're getting the performance of it but yeah. like the writing i'd write like with one tone and just get the whole thing down as quick as i can because the idea is there and it needs to get out before it's gone or like or before it gets misshapen into something that it's not supposed to be like you hear some stupid ditty and it, you're like oh fuck where's yeah, my yeah. riff go <laughs> <laughs> do, 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 do. <laughs> you do you do have to keep an eye on <laughs> Sorry. that one that's a good jingle man <laughs> But you do have to keep an eye on. You do have to keep an eye on trying to get the vibe right across across the whole thing as well. Like, you know, if we we yeah. bury me when we did that bury me recording in two different locations over whatever five days over a month, you know, um, it's different because you know it's electro pop rock. It's very you know what you're going for. There's no room for ambience or whatever like that. But you know, if you're recording a baron and a violin player, you want that intimacy and you want that connection between them. Or music, different musicians work different ways. Well, like we we did, we're well used to working with a metronome and working in this fashion. We've kind of always done it in a way, um, but some musicians wouldn't be able to do that at all. Like so, there's still a lot to be said for capturing everything in the room for certain types of music and certain yeah yeah. Like Just I've, get the ambience I've, right. I have a song on the on the new EP that'll be out now in a couple of months, and it this will be the fourth the fourth time recording it, you know, it, it came down half a step, it got changed to harp, it got changed to guitar, then it got changed, you know, and we I wouldn't have had that opportunity to get that mood like right on the money where I thought it was. And that like, that's something like yeah. really handy, but I'm also the worst for falling into holes of like, <laughs> I love the first version of that song of Billy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first version is so fucking angry though. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> yeah, Dude, that's the that's the argument. Though. That's the argument, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. It's like oh, the yeah, first yeah. the first version is where the magic is. <laughs> you got it. You get careful not to work it to the yeah. bone. You know, it's all over uh, the place. Go back and go back and have a listen to it. The new one yeah. is beautiful, though. It's beautiful. Yeah. Like I think the new version is like really, it's seriously seriously crafted and carved. It's really nice. Mm. Good buzz. Mm. I think that's a that's an interesting point you made, Thomas. About like if you just mess with it too much, it's a bit like dough; it just dries out and it becomes terrible, you know. Yeah, but that's why when we like as Joe said as well, we've done we've <laughs> we okay. It sounds bad, but we have done that work into the bone of the track already. We've nitpicked it. We've like, you know, you've spent a week trying to figure out what guitar tone you're going to use for a certain solo in a certain part and how you want that to come across. But then, so like you've done all that research and it, it's almost like practicing for a gig. That's all in the back of your head. You don't even have to think about it. Once you arrive into the studio, you can just, you get it done. And like when we do it, you're not on about, you're not on about fucking 15 takes to get a part down. You're on about one, two, three takes. If you don't get it, don't overwork it. 
come away and we'll come back to it another day. Where, where do you guys for in the future want to take your label? Um, what, what are your plans for development? A of, corporate of... buyout. <laughs> corporate buyout. That's Someone's listing who has money to buy the whole thing. Yeah. You want to Big wash Papa your hands Starbucks, of it? Where you at? <laughs> I got these we jingles. want to be crushed by Bezos. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to legitimize ourselves first and then we're going to help other people. That's what the future is. Yeah, I think that's we've it. Got, yeah, we've, got another few, we've got another few years of complaining about ourselves and making mistakes. And then when we have that ready, then we can help other people and then we can have then we can all be happy. Yeah, for sure. Mm. There's no point in us like giving out bad advice mm -hmm. and shit. And can then ruining someone's yeah. career by yeah can tell them to send a shitty a bad email what's the I think thing we've all sorry go yeah, on yeah. no we've all i was just gonna say we've all like we're all at a point now where we're agreed we're in this for the long haul so it's just a matter of growth 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 and see what see where it goes like i mean five years ago we couldn't have predicted where we are today mm. um so we don't know where we're going to be in five years but all we can do is you know keep looking forward and try our best tries and in terms of talking to, to younger bands who are starting out, like what's the things that you've learned? What's the main piece of advice that you could give them? Get a real job. Protect your ears. <laughs> That's two quite protect contrasting pieces of advice there. <laughs> I think the protecting your ears thing is, is so true, though. I still have ringing every so often from standing beside drums like every night. It's, 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 it's like yeah. it's no joke. <laughs> Honestly, you, you drive yourself crazy. Like I definitely have tinnitus and it's terrible yeah like yeah. i have to like i've had to change the way i listen to music because of it like i have to listen at a low volume so i don't aggravate myself or aggravate that and then I can, i'm able to do mixing work then and i'm not like ah! i think <laughs> i have it now that hurt my ears sorry sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry lads sorry but yeah protect your ears yeah, that's the but main that's thing. very I'm, important though because sorry but like the sorry about the ear thing you know the support like the support that young bands get like they're trying to set up a new rehearsal studio in Galway at the moment, and that's going to have, you know, probably a decent PA and a decent microphone, and it might have been set up by somebody that actually knows what they're bloody doing, as opposed to when we were growing up and we bought a PA system for whatever it was, putting 700 quid, and hadn't a bloody clue. So we just turned everything up to 11 because we couldn't hear what we wanted to hear. Yeah. And then we did about six or seven years of serious damage to ourselves there. So it's yeah. very, you know, it is very important to, I don't know. Yeah, seek you know, seek some advice and fucking put your earplugs in and <laughs> support and structures. I hope I hope will exist soon enough. Musically as well, like stay like stay as true to what you want to do as possible and like what feels good when you're playing. Like, don't worry about what other people are doing. Like, I I spent years personally doing that. Like looking looking to other people and being like man i fucking i wish my guitar parts were more like that or something when mm. you don't even realize like you might i was doing stuff that was that other people would have considered kind of cool and i mm. didn't know like because i was too distracted with other people yeah. so like focus on yourself and what who you are and what you play because guaranteed someone's looking at you doing like thinking that is really cool like yeah, yeah. That's, that's the eternal that's the eternal struggle the, the mm. self-doubting artist yeah thing. i think that goes <laughs> beyond uh music as well i think that's just a life yeah, oh, of course of course it's particular it's particularly bad for music and artists though because it's, i think musicians even more so because 
you're singing about your own life and you're, you know, mm. you're singing about a, a really bad fight you had with your girlfriend or your addiction to whiskey or you know, whatever it is. Yeah. And you're putting that out there for everybody to judge it. At the end of the day, people don't really listen to it that much. They'll pick up a chorus and they'll like, they'll relate to you for a few lines, but they're not going to get mm. your whole song. So I think it's just about having the bravery to realize that people don't really give a shit what you're doing with yourself. And the more you should just stick to what feels good, as Joe said. Mm. Yeah, 100 percent. A lot of people, that was kind of similar to what I was going to say. Um, a lot of people get caught up on this, like signed to a record label and that will be my life sorted then. And it's like, that's not the reality you have to. You have to craft a career for yourself. It doesn't last five years. It lasts all your life. Do you know what I mean? If you, if mm. there's an option for you to to give it up, well, then you're probably in the the wrong business. Yeah, absolutely. Do you and think- it becomes it becomes about the journey as well, though. It becomes about that struggle and your ability to yeah. grow a bit more year on year. Mm. As Joe said, work on yourself, and then everything else will come. You know, people get lost in this fucking pipe dream of like oh once we get signed to a label the fucking game is on like but mm. that's bullshit like because if something doesn't go well then now you owe somebody twenty thousand euros yeah yeah man yeah. it might be on mm. for a bloody like think of all the people that got signed pre-covid like yeah there is the fucking dream right in front of them and then this yeah. side of it they're like haven't had your american tour you haven't had you didn't probably didn't even release your bloody album because yeah. the label were like we can't tour it and make the money back on it why the hell would we do that so now um, you're locked up. I'm going to jump back on something you said, maybe facetiously, but do you need to have a real job as well? Uh, you need to make money. I think if you're not, there's things to pay for when you're an original artist. You know, you you can write music and you can put it up there, and you can hope that somebody is going to find it. But you know, these days you need to pay for a bit of marketing, and you need to make sure that you're feeding yourself and clothing yourself properly, and that. You know, your partner isn't isn't losing their mind trying to support you. You know, you need to be able to fight your own battles and stay stable through the whole thing, I think. What what do you think the, is the biggest thing that record labels do for bands? Do you think it's necessary to be part of a label? Distribution. Mm, um, promotion. That's really the biggest one, you know what I mean? And a lot of, a lot of companies are distribution. What do you mean by that specifically? You mean putting songs on Spotify? Yeah, well, they, well, I mean, yeah, getting songs Me- to media distribution. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Like opening the like at the end of the day, the big is it a big five or a big four these days? I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but they are the three, gatekeepers. Is it? is it down to three now? Yeah. Getting smaller every day. I think yeah. it's. 0. I thought 5. Umbrella became a competitor last year. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, what was I saying? But yeah, no, getting it. Yeah, the gatekeepers like it's you need like even in Ireland, whatever about being on a label, but you need to be part of that group. You need to be part of that the group that they're controlling the whole thing and well, open the doors and have, you, you know, the, the guy, point. the one guy that. Does... You don't get you can well, find your own distribution company and work outside yeah. labels. That's why they're so important is because they have distribution. And they're so good at it and they've been around for ages. The, the ideal situation is to be your own, own your own records, release your own records, and then get somebody else to help you distribute it, which is what companies but, are doing. There's like Cobalt and stuff, like new business models. Um, those are really yeah, But you're never going to, you're only going to get, 
you're going to be you're going to become the best you could become the best outside of the record label outside of the big three for instance but like but i don't know if, you would you ever compete would you ever compete at the top level well, doing it you on your own do you think you don't have to like you're going to be oh, making yeah. like the pro- the, the self-worth and the artistic integrity and the fucking money and the life you have and the choices you get to make are completely in your hands it's the absolute dream like yeah that's the point isn't it and it's a, there's a lot to be said for having that control isn't there like, yeah yeah and for uh, and the growth and yeah is there anything you guys want to plug specifically any any projects you have coming up just before we run out of time here <laughs> please i've <laughs> <laughs> got a new single coming out on um the 25th of next month June. what is it june i'm sorry i'm lost in time at the moment uh 25th of june got a new single coming out with bannard mayor uh it's called flutter keep an eye out that's gonna be super music it sounds class <laughs> it's like super music tommy you've got something coming on then don't you yeah i have uh well i released a single only a couple of weeks ago so that's out there plaything that's the first from our new ep which is coming out on july 16th i believe is the, the date i have here <laughs> Ooh, um yeah money. bury me with my money yeah and uh, i have an ep pretty much ready but i got set back uh, monetarily set back as a kind of this happens you know and um, so we're pretty much just waiting just to get some money together just to get that mastered and then that'll be out so probably within the next well two months anyway so that's okay. about as, that's about as good as i can give and all records you, made uh, in-house yeah all mm. records made in-house get on our insta record team umbrella records social media that's all that all of what we're doing is on umbrella records instagram oh, and yeah Facebook. fantastic thank you so much for coming on i really appreciate it you've all been great um i hope this hasn't been too tedious <laughs> on your end but no, it's no, it's been great. i so had much. a great time fantastic yeah. glad to hear it thanks so much all the best guys and that was the end of my conversation with umbrella records you've been listening to making it make sense the podcast from real fear records until next time bye